If you have your Bible with you this morning, could you turn with me please to Exodus chapter 20 as we're reading together for a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments and we're reading verses 1 through 8 beginning Exodus chapter 20 at verse 1. And for those of you watching in other parts of the United States and have joined us by our live stream or perhaps watching from overseas, it's a good practice for you on a Sunday morning if you join us to have your Bible and open it up and follow where we're going in our studies each Sunday morning. And as most of you are aware, we are embarking on a new series of studies on the Ten Commandments and I have entitled it, You Cannot Be Serious. And we're looking at that over these next probably 10 or 11 Sundays together. And so let's begin Exodus chapter 20 at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Amen. And we trust that God will indeed bless his word to us this morning. Over the next few weeks, as we begin to leave summer behind, we will transition towards the fall season. And this week, of course, as you heard in our prayer of moments ago, many of our children are beginning to go back to school, and many of the young adults in our families are heading for college or postgraduate studies. As we transition from one season into another, it's easy for us to think that there are only four seasons. And of course, we quite naturally think of summer, winter, fall, winter and spring. But if you live in the southern parts of the United States, you know there are many, many more than four seasons. And at this time of year, we have, of course, summer. And then, after summer, we have more summer. And then, after more summer, late August, early September, we discover even more summer. And by the time we get into late September and early October, we begin to pray, and our prayer is, please, Lord, make this summer end. And some of us are there already. Then, of course, while all of this is going on, there is that time of year which is recognized by everyone here in the southeast as college football season, which is another season not recognized by everyone, but it is a living reality for us. Then, of course, while college football season is progressing throughout the year, we then have hurricane season. And then eventually, after hurricane season, we'll begin to feel that things are changing and we've moved to fall. Except, just kidding, more summer is still to come. And then after more summer, we have 
hunting season. And then when hunting season is going on, we have a little event in there called Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, we move towards Christmas season. And then eventually after Christmas season, we turn at the year from December into January. And towards the end of January, we have winter. And then immediately after winter, the next season, of course, is pollen season. It's not spring, it's pollen. And then with pollen season comes tornado season. And then with tornado season coming to an end, what do we eventually have? More pollen. And then after more pollen, one more winter. And that's usually for a couple of days towards the end of February, early March. And then eventually we have mosquito season. And spring hasn't arrived yet, but mosquitoes have arrived. And then eventually spring. And spring is that wonderful weekend, usually in March, when we have three wonderful days of mild weather because suddenly it's summer again. And so it goes on. And so these seasons are part and parcel of who we are, and it helps define who we are. And my point in all of that is this. That as our children go back to school, we will have a great deal of fun watching them develop educationally, socially, mentally. We'll watch them engage with new friends and new teachers and new classes. And we'll watch them grow and develop. And I suspect for most of us, when we were 13 or 14, a well-meaning relative, perhaps an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, would say to us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that was a tough question when you were 13 or 14, because you weren't quite sure what was happening over the next three months, never mind when you grow up. But let me take that question that most of us are asked at one point, And apply it spiritually. Where do you want to be in your relationship with God over the next three or four months? As the summer season comes to an end, as fall begins to encroach upon us, are you prayerfully asking, Father, over these next three or four months, let me be... And then mentally, in your heart, in your mind, in those deep recessed places of your soul, what would you say? I want to improve my prayer life. Father, help me carve time in your word each day, even if it's only ten minutes, when I can prayerfully set aside time with you to engage with you and interact with you. Father, help me, strengthen me, equip me to grow. Let me be the man or woman you're calling me to be. Is that your hope over the next three, four months? Trust and pray it is. As we begin to make our descent into the commandments, immerse ourselves in them, live with them over these next 10 or 11 Sundays together, and begin to say, Father, why did you give the commandments in the first place? Why are they relevant today? How do I apply them to my life as I seek to live out these principles day by day? Enable me to come to a fresh and new understanding of the commandments in order that I might know you in that fuller, richer way. 
Now this morning as you came in, you should have picked up a little bookmark on the Ten Commandments. Inquire, if you didn't pick it up on the way in, you can certainly get them. They're in the literature racks which sit on the left just as you exit the main sanctuary and then of course at the other end of the building at our main reception, just on the left before you get there in fact. And we designed this as a bookmark so you would take it home today, put it in Exodus chapter 20 to mark your place, bring it with you each week. And incidentally, if you're watching from home online, you can go onto the church website, click the link, download it, print it, and use it at home as well. And I designed this for two reasons. And the first is you'll see... One, two, three, four, five. Five commandments on the first section. Turn it over. You'll get commandments six through ten on the back. And we've used the traditional wording for each of the commandments in the semicircle. For example, number one says, You shall have no other gods before me. And then next to it is a direct quote which we have lifted from the ECO essential tenants and put them onto our bookmark. Now, most of us are aware that as a denomination, we have essential tenets. Because when we were putting in place a new denomination, we wanted to say, who are we, what do we believe, and why do we have essential beliefs? And it's quite distinctive to ECO. And the Ten Commandments, in fact, take up a major central section in those essential tenets. And so on your bookmark, you have traditional wording and a contemporary application that come from the essential tenets. And that's quite deliberate. Because over the next few weeks, we are serious about becoming more and more familiar with the commandments. Remembering what they say, responding to their call, and seeking to live them out day by day by day by day. And so that, hopefully, is where we're going. Now, as you come to Exodus chapter 20, you know the context. People of ancient Israel were held in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And Moses began to appeal to Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh, of course, was very reluctant to do so. And it was only after the power of God manifested itself in supernatural ways that eventually Pharaoh's hand was forced. And so he let the people of Israel leave. Probably about 1.3 million people are now going from ancient Egypt into what was then ancient Palestine. It's about to become Israel as the people move towards the promised land. And there are four major turning points in the book of Exodus. And the third of them is right here, the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai. God speaks directly to Moses on Mount Sinai, asks him to write the Ten Commandments which he dictates and it begins. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he goes on to give the Ten Commandments. And in giving the Ten Commandments, what he is saying to the people of Israel back then and us today is this, that having brought you out of slavery, I want you to experience life as it should be. I want you to experience life fully engaged with me. I want you to live life to the fullest with deep lasting contentment and joy and fulfillment. I want you to get to know me at a level you couldn't previously have even imagined. 
And in doing so, I am giving you these commandments and asking you to live by them in order that these commandments will bring about your highest good and greatest blessing. And that's exactly why they were designed. God is saying, put them at the center of your life. Let them shape and fashion your life. Take these moral and spiritual values and allow them to identify who you are. Define how you live. And discover in obeying them the joy and the thrill of life with me. And that's exactly why he gave them. Old Testament scholars will tell us that the first four commandments are about a relationship with God. And as a result of that spiritual income, the relationship with God, there's a spiritual outcome. And so, commandments 5 through 10 are, as a result, a relationship with other people. So it begins in a relationship with God on the vertical, and it flows, of course, to the horizontal. Now, you may be patiently listening this morning and saying, okay, Richard, thank you, I think I've got everything you've said so far. I thought the stuff about the seasons was reasonably funny. Not great, but reasonably funny. I also enjoyed the context and God challenging the people of Israel, and I see everything you've said. But Richard, if I'm quite honest, let me suggest this. That if you're saying that the Ten Commandments written how many centuries ago are archaic, dusty, out of touch, with nothing to say in a 21st century context, quite honestly, I cannot take you seriously if you're going to say that. If you suggest that these ancient commandments written to a nomadic, desert-dwelling people are applicable in a 21st century social and cultural context, I cannot take you seriously. And incidentally, Richard, you should know better. Because in the 21st century, we know that in this day and age, there is no such thing as transcendent truth. In other words, truth that applies to all people in all places, in all ages, in all cultural and social contexts. It simply doesn't exist. We once believed that, but certainly not today. Because we know that truth is a social construct. In other words, what's true in North America may not be true in Singapore or Japan or socially and culturally true in Indonesia or Russia or Central Africa. Or South America. It's simply not true. Everywhere, all the time, for all people. And so we can't seriously take commandments and apply them in a 21st century setting. Now if that has been running through your mind over the last few minutes, allow me please to push back a little. Because the central focus of that thesis is this. There is no such thing as transcendent truth. All people, all places, all times. So let me ask, is racism acceptable in Singapore, Australia, Japan, Central Africa? Is domestic violence acceptable in these cultures and places? Is human trafficking? No, because we know these things to be 
utterly diabolical and wrong. And the commandments remind us, as does all of Scripture, that there exists transcendent truth for all people in all places at all times. And when we have the arrogance in the 21st century to determine that there is no longer any such thing as truth, we need to think again. And let me encourage you not to come to Scripture and look at it through a 21st century cultural context, but in fact look at 21st century cultural context through the lens of Scripture. That's when the culture makes sense. And so if you're tempted to think along those lines that they simply cannot be applicable today, please pull back from that temptation. It is simply not true. Now in addition to that, are moral and spiritual truths applicable from the day of Moses to today? Well, we're about to find out in subsequent Sundays that, in fact, it is very much true and very relevant for our lives. In fact, those moral and spiritual values that we hold to be self-evident are, in fact, applicable to every area of our lives. How we raise our children, the person we marry, who we fall in love with, how we interact with folks at work and people in our community relationships with each other are right there coming directly out of the commandments and the commandments speak into those relationships. And notice how it begins. God begins, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And if we had nothing else in the commandments other than those words, we would have a powerful powerful reminder of the gospel because he is the one who takes the initiative i am the lord your god i was the one who took the initiative and brought you out of slavery and bondage you are mine and i have lavished my love upon you and i want you to know me and i want you to walk with me and i long for you to be the person i'm calling you to be and i want you to have that deep abiding intimacy that should belong to you I am the Lord your God. It is based on relationship. It is not based on saying set prayers at set times on set days of the week. It's not based on any kind of spiritual diet where you're only allowed certain foods on certain days of the week. Or what you wear, certain clothes on certain days of the week. But it's based on a relationship. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage. And in that picture, and we heard it in Shelton's prayer moments ago, you have a precursor of the gospel. For Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life in all of its fullness. And I have come to set you free and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's what the gospel does. When it breaks into our lives and touches us, heart and mind and soul, we suddenly discover a relationship with him and it's a relationship of love and forgiveness and goodness and mercy and care and grace. It's based on a relationship. Not on what we do and when we do it, but quite simply because he loves us. That's the gospel. I have distinct memories 
of my days before I came to a living faith in Christ. I came to faith in Christ when I was age 20. And I remember like yesterday it happening. And suddenly I discovered the truth of the gospel, of the overwhelming sense of his love, the deep conviction that I didn't know him. But oh, how I longed to know him when the Holy Spirit touched me heart and soul and mind and brought deep abiding conviction, but also deep abiding peace. And it was on a relationship basis. Not don't do this and don't do that. I had no desire to continue to live the way I lived. I was never a bad boy. I had a vague understanding of God and he lived up there somewhere in the sky. But I pretty much ignored him. Had I made bad decisions and poor choices at times? Sure I had. But I had no understanding of his love and the transformation of his grace. And it begins, I am... I am the Lord, your God. And I've brought you out of the land of slavery and bondage. And from the point of knowing Christ moving forward, I never wanted to go back. Because nothing else would satisfy like his love. And that's the point he's making. It begins on a relational basis. I am the Lord, your God. Not religious observance or special diets or particular prayers said at particular times out of love and the other spectacular dynamic is this that although the commandments the moral and spiritual commandments of God are every bit as applicable to us today as they were back then we have one distinct advantage and it's this that we live in a post-Pentecostal period. Now, what do I mean by that? And if you're watching from home and you're not quite sure, let me take 30 seconds to explain. Imagine this side, way over here. This is the end of the Old Testament going all the way through to Genesis. And then right in the center, you have the Gospels. And after the Gospels, you have the book of Acts. And in the early chapters of the book of Acts, you have the coming of the Holy Spirit. And for the first time in all of history, the Holy Spirit simply didn't come and anoint an individual for a season or a particular period. But in fact, he came to dwell within the heart and mind and soul of the Christian. And we have today the indwelling, enabling power of God the Holy Spirit living within us. How many times have we said over the last five or six years... That the same moral and spiritual power that brought Christ back from the dead now lives in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And God never calls us to live according to the Ten Commandments in our own strength. Never. He says to us again and again, I recognize you can't do this in your own strength. And that's why I have given to you the Holy Spirit to dwell within, to enable you, to strengthen you, to apply these commandments in your life and to grant to you the power you need to live out your faith day by day by day. That's what's going on. That's what Scripture teaches, plain and clear. And you may be saying, okay, 
Richard, hold on, I think I've got it, but the Holy Spirit seems an awful long way from Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. Well, let me explain it one more step, and it's this. Let me illustrate it this way. Back in July in 1862, an act went through Congress to begin the first transcontinental railway here in the United States. It took six years to complete It ran from Missouri all the way through, as you look at the map, Missouri all the way through to the Pacific Ocean. Almost 2,000 miles. It was an absolute engineering marvel. And for the first time, railways could cross the country. And the engines involved could pull up to 220 tons of weight and freight. And that means this, that if you lined up or piled up 800 sedans, family vehicles, that's what they were capable of pulling. And it was powered by a coal-fired steam engine. And the steam engine was able to make its way from one end of the nation to the other simply because the power in the boiler. And likewise with the Holy Spirit, as he begins to convict us of the areas in our lives that need to change, not only does he convict us, he gives us the power to take action and obey. Not only does he encourage us, not only does he strengthen us, not only does he get alongside us, but he equips us and enables us to live out our faith for Christ day by day by day, morally, spiritually. And he grants within us a longing, passionate desire to follow him because he knows we cannot do it on our own. But that's the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And the second part of that analogy is this. And please hear this, because I think you're with me in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit. But the moral and spiritual values that determine who we are come directly out of the Ten Commandments. And those are the railway lines on which we live the Christian life. Please hear me. We cannot say... I love Christ on Sunday. Come to worship. Open hearts and minds and souls in prayer and interact and engage with Him and yet Monday live any way we like. We cannot. With Christian belief comes Christian behavior. With Christian belief comes moral standards and values that are important not just for us as individuals, but for our families and our community and our society and our nation. That's the importance of the Ten Commandments. God did not say, please take these commandments and live them out privately in your own life. He certainly said that, but he also said, take them as a nation. Let them define you and refine you. That's what's going on here. I am the Lord, your God. I love you. I long for the best for you. That's what's going on here. And you should never give in to the thought that my relationship with God is all that matters. It absolutely matters. It is foundational to who you are. But the living out of your faith according to Christian moral standards and spiritual standards is crucial if you're ever to grow in your faith. Ever to grow. Because on Sunday morning, we learn from God's Word, we apply it 
to our lives. Let me see if I can begin to wrap all of this up. And forgive me for one final illustration. As we move from this Sunday to the second commandment, then the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and so on, over these next few months together, please hear this. When we immerse ourselves commandment by commandment, it's a little like going to see a great, vast country estate, an ancient castle. And as you walk round room by room, you begin to get a sense of the splendor and grandeur of what the estate once looked like. It's a little, if you like, like going to visit Biltmore House. There are 225 rooms. It is considered a luxury chateau. It was completed in 1895. There are 65 fireplaces and rooms across the building. As you go into the main banqueting hall, the ceiling is 70 foot high. The library has 10,000 volumes. They have a bowling alley and swimming pool in the basement, all from 1895. And one of the things you do when you walk round Biltmore is inevitably you hear yourself saying, Wow, isn't this incredible? What would it have been like to live like this? Now take that analogy and apply it to the commandments. That as you move from one commandment to another, you're refreshed and renewed because in that commandment you see his sovereign providential love for you. As you move from the second commandment to the third, you begin to understand his love and grace and mercy at a whole new level. As you move from three to four, you begin to understand that not only does he hold you in the palm of his hand, he holds your entire family. And he knows what your future holds and he leads and guides and directs. And as we get deeper and deeper and deeper into these commandments, you're going to find yourself saying, Wow! Isn't it amazing to live like this? Because you're exposed to his wonder and his love and his grace. And your only response is, Father, help me to apply them to my life. Help me to know you in this richer, deeper, fuller way. Then the heart soars heavenwards. Then you find yourself in unadulterated worship. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Because once again you're exposed to his love. And when that happens, you begin to say, Father, let this be a fresh season for me. And let me grow in my love for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wonder of these commandments. And help us this week to appreciate again by coming back to the commandments and immersing ourselves in them, to gasp in awe and wonder that you, the Lord God Almighty, have called us to know you and follow you and to live with you. Father, allow us, please, 
to grow and mature in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.